What's up everybody, Tara Wellman, and it is series preview time as the Cardinals get set to host the White Sox in a quick two-game set. Now the Cards and the Sox haven't seen each other since 2015. That season, they played four games and split the season series right down the middle with both teams losing their respective home games. Those games featured Quintana and Lackey, as well as Mark Reynolds and Alexi Ramirez. The White Sox went 76-86 and 86 that year, while the Cardinals went on to win 100 games on the strength of their pitching staff. But a lot has changed since then, and both teams are looking for answers, for now and for later. Kat Garcia has spent plenty of time covering the Chicagoland baseball scene, and I'm happy to have her here today to help break down this 2018 White Sox squad. All right, so Kat, first of all, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So the Sox are coming off of a strong series in Kansas City, and we'll get to that in a minute, talk a little bit more about this series. But I kind of want to back up a little bit because from a distance, what the White Sox are trying to do is kind of fascinating to watch as any rebuilding process is. Um, but, you know, there are inevitably some moves that are made that don't necessarily make sense in the moment, but are more for the long-term goals of, of creating this winning team, all of those things. So I guess let's sort of start there with this process that the White Sox are going through, sort of in that second phase of this rebuild, if you will. What's been the most interesting or intriguing part over the course of, you know, last offseason into the spring training and, and what you've seen so far? I think the most interesting part for, and I think I speak for all White Sox fans here, is that you're actually seeing this organization put in the work instead of doing a lot of, you know, band-aid type of acquisitions. Like let's try and make this work with this veteran guy and this guy and patching holes. Instead, they just blew the whole thing up. You know, they added so many new prospects and yeah, they had to give away a lot of guys for that. But you know, in the long run, those guys were not going to be in the world series contention window anyway. So to start over from scratch is something that I think White Sox fans have wanted for a long time, and now they are finally getting that, and not only are they getting that, they're getting it done the right way. I was going to ask you about that, because I feel like a lot of times selling this idea of a rebuild to a fan base is a little bit tricky. I mean, every fan wants their team to win, and they want them to, they want them to win now, but there's also this idea that the Sox were in a pretty bad spot, and to, to fix that this whole thing did kind of have to be blown up from the inside out and, and move on from there. So I guess, how do you feel like the organization has done in continuing to try to engage the fans and keep this interesting and really sell this process as a good thing? Well, I think first of all, it was something that a lot of White Sox fans wanted. I don't think there was much selling to do. I think they were all pretty grateful that this had <laughs> happened. But then it's also, you know, the prospects that they acquired have been so exciting. I mean, they're broadcasting AAA games on TV, on cable now. You know, people are interested in watching Michael Kopech and, you know, hearing about how Luis Robert is doing, you know, waiting for these call-ups, watching Yon Mankata progress. You know, even guys like Nicky Delmonico. I mean, he was not supposed to be in the big leagues. That was just happenstance. And now he's the starting left fielder, and he's been such an interesting case for the last not even year yet. So I think there are their own little uh, draws during this rebuild. 
it's almost interesting in a different way. You're not necessarily going to the games or watching the games to see how they're going to compete for a playoff spot, but more to see those guys that you mentioned. Is there is there I, one of those guys that has maybe created uh, a, a bit of a surprise as far as their story so far? You mentioned uh, left fielder already this year is is sort of ahead of schedule. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, I think Nicky Delmonico has to be the biggest surprise because he was added to the roster um, when, I believe it was when, Yon Mankata and Willie Garcia had that outfield collision in September. Um, so he was just sort of an immediate ad. And then he ended up staying on the roster. You know, he was taking walks. He wasn't striking out that much. He had that incredible first week run where he, I don't know, he had a bunch of extra base hits. He hit his first home run at Fenway. And then people started to think, well, maybe this guy can actually, you know, if he can learn that outfield better, that's been his one struggle is the defense and left field. But he's progressing with that. And so far watching him this year, I mean, he fits into that lineup like a glove. Like it's, he just seems like he wasn't someone who was just a fill-in at this point. And I think for me, that's been the biggest surprise on this team. I imagine it's a, a unique challenge being – sort of the elder statesman, the veteran guy on a team like this, when you know that you might not even be there, you might not even be part of this puzzle when they are actually successful. When you look at someone like Jose Abreu, who in many respects is is a part of what they're trying to do with this rebuild, in working with those young guys, in uh, sort of their pitch to someone like Luis Robert, um, how has he taken on this role knowing that it, it might not involve him sooner or later? He's been amazing. I mean, he is the glue that holds that clubhouse together. And it's not so much about him being there. It's about what he can do now. I mean, he grew up in Cuba with Yon Mankata. They've known each other for a while. So this is more him taking someone that he knows under his wing and all these new guys. And right now, they're, he's playing to help make this team better, even if he won't be there when it is its best. And what he's contributing to the clubhouse right now will carry on into those winning teams in the future, even if he's not physically there. I imagine that the manager's role in a situation like this is just as significant. And not because he's necessary, necessarily pulling the right strings as far as in-game strategy goes, but because the way you have to sort of manage a roster or manage a situation knowing that the the goal is somewhere off in the future has to be a little bit different as well. How important is the manager for the White Sox this season? Oh, he's incredible. I mean, not only does he have the influence with the Latin players in the clubhouse, he's brought this entire team together. You know, the, everyone says Ricky's boys don't quit. It's just a marketing slogan or cliche. I don't see them selling any t-shirts that say that that's, it's the real deal. They don't quit no matter how bad the losses are. I mean, We've sat there in that press box through games that, you know, we wished would end any second. And, you know, he walks in all smiles, all positive things to say. And I remember someone asking me, well, does he really discipline these guys when they've done wrong? Does he reward them for these losses? No, he doesn't. He tells them what they've done wrong, but he doesn't have to scorn them. He's not negative about it. He tells them it's a lesson. These are the things you need to work on. But, you know, tomorrow's a new game. Tomorrow's a new day. We're going to move on. We're going to pick it up. He's been incredible, and he also does have that sort of uh, rebuilding team thing under his belt because he was with the Cubs in 2014 when they were 
pretty bad and in the middle of their <laughs> rebuild as well. So he's used to dealing with this sort of team. And in that, I mean, he's seen this process work, right? It worked to perfection with the Cubs. It worked with the Astros. This is not like it's a, a process that's never been done before and they're just trying to see what happens. He's been there and he's seen it work. And I think, though, even with that experience, it takes a special kind of leadership to do what it seems like he's doing that I, it almost seems like this is sort of the the kind of management, if you will, that you see more in the minor leagues when you're working with these young guys as you're developing them, not necessarily as you're managing them to win. You don't always see that at the major league level. Right. You're, he's not necessarily managing a ton of talent right now. He's helping cultivate this talent and cultivate a clubhouse culture and all the things that you see off the field that are very important, or sometimes you don't see off the field, things in the clubhouse that are very, very important. You know, he's very approachable with the young guys. Like I said, he's not someone that they're going to be fearful of or anything like that. He doesn't yell, you know, he's, it is very important the way that he nurtures these guys. I think that culture is so much a part of this sort of rebranding, rebuilding, regrowth process. We saw that with the Cubs as well, sort of creating this identity for themselves before they had the success to go with it. I guess when you look at what the White Sox are doing, how would you define what they want that culture to be? I mean, I think it's always been for the South Side, it's been grinding, you know, the grinder ball, all of that, you know, just working as hard as you can. Ricky's boys don't quit. You know, even if you're at the bottom right now, you know, working your way to the top, watching it happen, putting in the work, even as fans, you know, I mean, there really haven't been that many fans out at the ballpark, but hey, it's been, you know, 40 degrees in Chicago, <laughs> so you can't shame them for that. So um, you're going to see these people out at the ballpark, even if we're not going to be filling the entire stadium, you know, it's just the support that this team needs and everyone's, it's kind of like, the Cubs slogan on the other side of town, everybody in. I think everyone's buying in, and that's something that this team is really kind of thriving on. So clearly there's a, a stockpile of young talent that's part of this plan. But as you look at the Major League team, some of the guys on and off of that roster already with some injuries coming into play and, and just sort of that normal sort of uh, roster turnover as you go through the beginning of a season with all of the cold weather and all of the things that have come into play. What's sort of the report card of this first month of the season for the Sox? I mean, I think it's turned out the way everyone should have expected it to. I mean, they're not doing that well. Um, a lot of these young guys are going through their growing pains. A lot of them did come up last year mid-season, so this is almost like the uh, sophomore slump, if you will. Um, the injuries have been interesting because the White Sox have always been really good at preventing injuries as a team. So seeing so much of this happen now, I mean, a lot of these guys too are getting older, you know, Miguel Gonzalez is in his thirties and, you know, the cold weather really does make a difference when you're playing out there and you're just starting to get back into that grind of playing every day. So, um, I think so far things have been going the way that they should, <laughs> That makes sense, uh, except for when they play a Kaufman, evidently. When they're playing the Royals, this looks like a completely different team. What went so oh, yeah. right for them in this last series with the Royals? 
Well, it was funny when when you messaged me about coming on here. Actually, I was watching the that one Royals game it was the first of the doubleheader, and I remember thinking, "Oh my God, this team looks great!" And I was like, "This is <laughs> this is so awesome! Uh, all these long balls and all these runs. It was eight nothing at that point." And then I remember that they're playing the Royals, <laughs> who right now are arguably one of the worst teams in baseball. So as much as we've seen that incredible you know surge there through that series you have to remember what the competition level that they were facing was but that's not to say that these guys don't have that you're seeing that they have the ability to be that type of ball club even if they were given somewhat of a a free pass by playing um the royals you know i mean it was nice to be able to see that there is momentum there The Cardinals were in a similar situation, having played a couple of series within about a week and a half against the Reds, who are also not a very good team right now. Um, Any success against a team that is struggling to that level, you sort of take with a grain of salt. But at the same time, the, the wins count all the same. And especially, I think, when you have a team full of young guys that are sort of trying to learn how to win together, those wins count just as much as anything else does. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and that's something that brings that sort of team up, you know, it uplifts them to have those wins, whether they be against the Royals, the Reds, the Red Sox, anyone, you know, it's a win is a win. So in that series, one guy in particular who apparently just wants to play all the time against the Royals is Matt Davidson, 27 years old, not necessarily the rookie that you're going to see with some of these other young guys, but he's off to a terrific start primarily against Kansas city, but nonetheless, Is this a start for Davidson that you can buy into, or is this sort of an anomaly that's going to come crashing back to earth? I would say it's going to come crashing down a little bit. You know, it'll regress a little bit more to the mean, but this is something that we've known uh, Davidson has in him. He's always had the power. We've seen it last year when, you know, he struggled to bat, you know, a decent average, but his slugging percentage was something around 450. Um, His issue was the strikeouts, and he's definitely improved on that. I believe his walk rate so far this season is 14.5, something like that, which I think is the team lead. It might be tied with Mankata somewhere up there, but that's incredible because, I mean, this is someone who didn't walk at all last year. He was up there with Tim Anderson for, like, the least walks on the team. So for him to be able to hit the long ball when he's up at at the bat, Um, And then also when he's not to be able to get on base and, you know, take that walk has definitely upped his game a little bit. He's never going to be, I don't think, the superstar player of the team, but he has his little niches. And I think this is going to be a good year for him. If he could just play all of his games uh, in Kansas City, maybe he'd be that superstar for whatever reason. You mentioned Tim Anderson I just want to talk about him for a minute because I have sort of yes, this quiet <laughs> I have a, a, a quiet obsession with the players in this game who remember that it's a game and that it's supposed to be fun. Um, Tim Anderson has taken a little bit of heat uh, from some of the more veteran players, I guess, <laughs> much like Javi Baez on, on the North side uh, in the last little bit. But the, last week there was some beef with Salvi Perez. Justin Verlander has gotten into it with him in the mix at times, all sort of based on this idea that he doesn't follow baseball's unwritten rules about when you can celebrate and how you can celebrate and, and all of these complicated things that that uh, certain people seem to take issue with. So is there a problem with Tim Anderson disrespecting the game or is this all just blown way out of proportion? 
Okay, look, I'm going to start off by saying that I used to be very conservative. I was one of those finger wagon, you're disrespecting the game people. I've calmed down a little bit with that. Um, there are still times where I will shake my head. But in this case, this is completely blown out of proportion. I mean, you got Fernando Rodney doing the arrow. You got people bat flipping. And all of a sudden, Tim Anderson can't clap because he got on base or, or hug the first base coach because he took a walk. I mean, in my opinion, like I said, I can be pretty conservative. He is being completely respectful and just having fun. And I, I don't know why everyone is picking on him, especially after everything he's been through, to be able to see him, you know, grow into that person that we all knew he could be, that player that we knew was inside there has just been so incredible to watch. And so for him to be, you know, gone after like that is just, it's disappointing to me. For people who may not be aware of his story, playing through Heartbreak last year, explain a little bit of what his story has been and sort of why he feels like, look, I've played under the weight of the world. Now I just want to have fun. Right. Well, he came up in 2016, uh, around May, um, or June it was, I believe it was June. So he was kind of breaking out in that role his first season. And then everyone was like, oh, in 2017, he's really going to come out. He's going to be this great player. He's going to have a full season under his belt. And then in May, um, his best friend, who he considered more of a brother than a best friend type, um, was shot in, uh, I believe it was Alabama. Um, And that was devastating for him. I mean, you saw the person that you saw in 2016 was just gone in 2017. And this is a guy who, I mean, his vibes radiate throughout an entire room. I mean, his smile could light up an entire room. And that was just gone. Um, To be able to see that change in him when I saw him at uh, Sox Fest, he was a completely different person. And it was just so great to see him back in that kind of, what we see on the field that everyone's been, you know, having such a hard time with, that's just who he is. And it's so great to see for the person, not even the baseball player, just to see that back for him. Yeah. I think it's so easy to forget about the lives these guys have off of the field, especially when it translates into, you know, maybe not the most successful season. Um, But I also think when it translates into them showcasing some of their personality, it's uh I don't know. I I more and more think that the game needs those kinds of players uh, and not just the the Justin Verlander types who <laughs> don't want you to ever Yeah, I don't ever... know where that <laughs> came from. I didn't ever realize Justin Verlander was like that. I was the biggest Justin Verlander fan when I was like 16. I had his Tigers jersey and he was my favorite player and now I'm like what? Like <laughs> <laughs> he's just the the grizzled old veteran now and yelling get off my lawn Um, (laughs) no but it's it's great to see someone like Anderson who can come back after that and you know everybody deals with different things in life some of them end up being more public than others and and for him to be able to sort of let go of all of that and still find some joy in the game of baseball that he gets to play I don't I don't think anyone should uh should fault him for that 
Yeah, I definitely don't either. <laughs> so let's shift gears a little bit. Talk about this two-game set with the Cardinals. Talk a little bit of pitching. So first it'll be James James Shields opposing Michael Waka in Game 1. Then it'll be Lucas Giolito and Carlos Martinez in Game 2. As you look at the pitching for the Sox so far, it's been a bit of a struggle out of that starting rotation. It has been. Um, I don't think anyone has an ERA under 4 in that rotation. Um it's it's been very rough for a lot of these younger guys. You know, you're seeing them walk a lot of batters. I mean, the bullpen has just been taxed because a lot of these guys can't go as many innings as you would really like them to. And um, as far as James Shields, he's been the veteran, but he also, you know, he's 36 now. He's got his own struggles. And, you know, I just... This is definitely going to be an interesting matchup because uh, I know Waka is, he's having a much better year than he had had before. Um, so I think that, that that may be a more even matchup, but Carlos Martinez and Lucas Giolito is not going to be fun for the White Sox. That's just, let's just say that now. That's not going to be fun. <laughs> so there, I feel like there are pretty high hopes for Giolito. What is not working for him this season? It's the walks. Um, it's definitely the walks. He's He was having such a spectacular year last season. I'm not really sure what necessarily happened, but I do still think that there is hope for him in this rotation. He will, I mean, he is still a young pitcher. He hasn't had a full season yet. So I think once he fixes those little tweaks that, you know, as general manager Rick Hahn says, some of those things can't be fixed in the minor leagues. You just have to play through them at the major league level. I think that's what is happening to Giolito now. It just may be a little more highlighted because everyone else in the rotation is also having problems. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't help when uh, there's no one to sort of cover your tracks as as far as the struggles that you're having. And I do think it's interesting, you know, when you watch these young pitchers try to kind of finish off their development at the major league level, there's no room for error. I mean, there there are not really ways to get into trouble and it not cost you as far as the, the end result of the game is. We've seen that a little bit with, uh, a, with Jordan Hicks coming out of the Cardinals bullpen, another super young, super talented kid that looked pretty invincible his first three or four appearances, and then he sort of found himself in some trouble. And when you have to work through that at the major league level, uh, you're going to take some lumps. And and it seems like Giolito is not the only one that has been affected by that so far. Right. And that's definitely something you hear post game out of a lot of these guys is, you know, when you make a mistake in the major leagues, it's a big deal. You know, you pay for that mistake. He's like, there, there are no mistakes. Um, and that that's true. You know, I mean, it's a game of inches. You mentioned uh, the bullpen pitching a lot of innings. What has, what do you make of this bullpen mix? Again, it, it feels a little bit strange to sort of look at the offseason acquisitions that the, the White Sox brought in to sort of shore up that bullpen a little bit, but also try to mix in some of that youth and see what they have going forward. It's an interesting mix because they also brought Hector Santiago on, which um, obviously we've seen over the last couple of days He's a great long arm. He's a great spot starter. He has a history with this team. Um, he's definitely great to eat innings, which is something that the White Sox definitely need in their bullpen right now. Um, Nate Jones has been pretty much the, the rock-solid 
person in that bullpen. I would say that he's kind of the ace of the staff. Um, a lot of these other guys, you know, Aaron Bummer, Gregory Infante, Bruce Rondon, they're just kind of a mixed bag. And we've seen that, you know, sometimes they have good days and sometimes they don't. And it's, like I said, it's a very mixed bag. And also um, losing Danny Farquhar for the season was something that the White Sox did not expect to happen. Um, so from just a baseball standpoint, that's another loss in the bullpen. So... I was going to ask about Farquhar just as far as his situation is concerned. Of course, if people are, are unaware, I don't know how they could be. It was a pretty big story baseball-wide um, when it happened. Of course, suffering a, a brain aneurysm last Monday. All of the baseball world really quickly rallied to try to send him any love and support. But a week later, you mentioned he's obviously done for the season. But what is his... Uh, status what is his condition is there any update on Farquhar right now um the last thing I've heard is that he is still in the ICU he's responding he's taken walks with his family throughout the ICU um he's responsive so he's doing a lot better um I'm not sure if he's still in critical condition or not um it's been a little quiet on that front they do the White Sox have been asking that you know people respect the family and give them their privacy but as far as I know, things are as good as they can get. You know, like like everyone says, no news is good news. So, yeah, that's one of those moments that really reiterates how <laughs> celebrating after a home run may not be the the biggest thing in life to worry about. Um, and I think we've seen that reaction from the the White Sox, from opponents, from the teams that they've played, and and that's nice to see. On a lighter note, I do have to ask about Luis Robert. Many Cardinals fans thought he might end up in St. Louis. Uh, apparently the White Sox had a better video presentation or something. I don't know, special effects, who knows. But, the VR. Right, the VR right. Got yeah, that was it. That, that sold it. Um, but he's out with an injury right now. What's the update on when he could return from that thumb injury? And more generically, how impressive has he been? I mean, his spring training start was incredible, uh, hitting that grand slam. Um, he was batting, I believe, 310. Uh, you know, he he was going to be out for about 10 weeks. I can't remember exactly how long ago that was at this point. Um, I haven't really been up on that right now. But I think that he is going to be very interesting. He's still very young, and he's already shown, you know, immense talent and bringing him up through this system and knowing that he's going to have guys like Moncada and Abreu by his side is going to be really helpful for him, you know, off the field. And that will translate to what he will bring on the field. Um, as far as his signing bonus, well, you know, I mean, the White Sox really haven't had a lot of money to put into that pool for reasons we won't get into, but, um, you know, sometimes you, you hit and miss, and right now, why not? You know, this this guy was an incredible get, and I think that that bonus will end up paying off. You know, I think as far as we mentioned sort of the idea of the fan base buying into this rebuild, it helps when you get a sort of once-in-a-generation type player uh, as, as maybe the centerpiece of that process going forward. But he's not the only exciting talent. Um, the, the last thing that I have for you is really just – kind of what's what's still to come who are the guys that are just right there ready to be the next man up uh, and what's that talent level like 
Uh, I think the next ones will be Michael Kopech and Eloy Jimenez, which, I mean, <laughs> to say one's more exciting than the other is really, uh, it's hard. But for me, Michael Kopech is the guy that I want to see. I mean, he is going to be, when he gets to the majors, he's going to be here to stay. He's going to become a big name, a big talent. Um, he has the drive, the motivation. You know, he, he throws consistently 100 miles per hour, striking out 10 batters per game. I mean, it's going to be so, so great. He's going to be the ace of that staff going forward, and I'm really excited for him to be that that addition to the rotation that I think is really going to help lift this team up when he gets here. Well, certainly a, a bit of a challenge as far as the season itself has gone, but that does not mean there aren't exciting things to come for the White Sox. So thank you for taking a few minutes to let Cardinals fans in on sort of the rebuild process happening on the South side. Absolutely. Good luck for the next two games. Well, the White Sox, prior to that strong series in Kansas City, surrendered 66 runs against Oakland, Houston, and Seattle, and went 1-8 over that span. They come to St. Louis after that five-game set with the Royals, where the Sox took three of five, but dropped the last two. The Cardinals, on the other hand, return home after an exceptionally underwhelming performance in Pittsburgh, where they basically gave away game one and nearly got perfect gamed, if we can turn that into a verb, by a kid making his major league debut. So needless to say, things did not go according to plan, and they'll be looking to rebound, particularly as far as the bullpen and the offense is concerned. It's a quick two-game set with the Sox, and then the Northsiders come to town, so there's plenty of Chicago to go around this week. Thanks for watching, I'm Tara Wellman, and we'll see you next time on a series preview for Birds on the Black.